Aren't those kids great? Let's give them another round. Well, I have the distinct pleasure today of introducing Rob Wines. Where is he today? There he is. Um, many of you know Rob. He's been associated with our church for many years now, probably 20 years or better. You know, there's a lot of you who are new faces that don't know Rob, so I'll give you a little bit of background. Rob uh, served in various ministries with our church, Sunday school teacher, Sunday school director. Uh, he was in charge of the library here for a while. He actually helped set up and establish our uh, website. And uh, he became a deacon, an associate pastor. And then he got a calling from God uh, to go in the ministry full time. Left a job, left the security and safety of that. Began seminary in uh, Louisville, the Southern Seminary. Uh, went through that and got uh, ordained as a uh, pastor. And he became the pastor of Freedom Baptist Church in Noble. He'd been there, what, about five or six years? Five years. I was married to Darla, who's with us today. Many of you know her. She's out at the, works at the hospital. Um, Rob and Darla have three children, Crystal, Alex, and Tyler. And many of you know Crystal. Um, she's married to Brandon Leach, uh, the son of... Uh, Mandy and, and Gary. And they're ser currently serving in Argentina as missionaries. And Rob was very instrumental in that whole process, helping see a young man, Brandon, pull him along uh, through some of the youth uh, pastoring that he did. Has many of the, uh, the kids in our church who have grown up and gone on in different places. So we'd like for you to welcome Rob and Darla. And thank you very much for your service, Rob. Well, good morning. How is everyone today? Uh, good. I hope you're doing good. Christmas is over. So sad, right? But the new year's coming, so we're looking forward to that. First of all, I just want to open up by saying uh, just thanks for the opportunity to be here today. It's, it's been quite a while. It's been about five years since I've been here. Other than the Leach's commissioning service, I did make it back for that. But uh, we are so glad to be back here. We're so very thankful for this church. We attended here, as Eric said, many years, and it was so uh, instrumental in our spiritual growth to be able to come here to be under pastors like Randy Molinax and Scott Farmer and Adam Cruz and then Stephen Friels. And it's just been an incredible experience for us. 
And probably the hardest thing, uh, decision I ever had to make was to leave this church and become members of Freedom Baptist Church in Noble. But uh, when you are faithful, God blesses you. And now I can't see being any other place than, than Noble and Freedom Baptist Church. We just have a wonderful church there. And uh, I think we have a, a wonderful partnership with uh, First Baptist Church here. Uh, we, don't, we don't meet and do a lot of things together, but I know that Steve is always here for me to talk to and to ask questions. And uh, it's always a joy to come back and see all the familiar faces. And it's also a joy to see that there are new faces here, right? Amen? There's new faces that are here, and we're so glad that, uh, that there are new people coming here and that the church is growing. And uh, so that's a good thing, right? I mean, if I were to come back five years later and still everyone was doing the same thing in the same seats, everything, that would be kind of sad. But this church is changing. It's growing. It's becoming more into the image of Christ. And so we're there, very thankful for that. We're going to be talking a little bit about this in our scripture lesson today. So if you have your Bible and want to turn to Titus chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through 14, that's where we're going to be. And we'll read scripture here in just a minute. But change is necessary. Change is necessary for a Christian as well. We're going to be talking today about God's all-sufficient grace. And his grace is all-sufficient. Amen. Can I get an amen out there? It is all sufficient, right? It provides for everything that we need in the Christian life. And so many times we just stop at the point of salvation and we don't realize that God's grace continues to work in our life even after that. And so you might be asking yourself, do I need to hear this message today? Well, yes, you need to hear this message today. So I hope there's no zoning out. I hope there's no thinking about other things. Just, let's just take this time and try to focus on what God says in his scripture is important about grace in our lives. And so if you are especially someone here who maybe you're a visitor or maybe you're a younger person and you've never experienced the reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then this message is especially for you as well because it's going to let you know what it means to be a follower of Christ and it will tell you how you can be saved or delivered from the sin that separates you from God. And so it's for you, but it's also for those who have already made a decision to follow Christ. But maybe you feel powerless concerning sin in your life. Maybe there's some sin in your life that you're having difficulty overcoming. This message is for you. But then there are also maybe people here who feel unmotivated to grow in Christ-likeness. And you know, sometimes that can happen. We can profess to know Christ, and then we don't know how exactly how to proceed, and maybe sometimes we just are unmotivated to grow in Christ-likeness. But if we're honest about what the Bible says, it says that we should be growing and, and maturing in our Christ-likeness, right? We are to be gradually growing and becoming more and more like Christ until, of course, we are finally with him, and then we will become like him completely. So we're going to be looking at the book of Titus and just a little bit of background. I'm sure most of you are familiar with this book. I just love the book of Titus. I mean, how can you not love the book of Titus? It's only three chapters long, and yet it is packed full with so many good things for us. It's a book that's written by the Apostle Paul to Titus, who is a young pastor whom 
Paul had left on the island of Crete. And he'd left him on the island of Crete to kind of set things up on the island of Crete so that all of the churches would have the proper leadership. But also he left them there so that he could deal with false teachings that would continually crop up. And you know that there are false teachings in our world today, true, also true. There are false teachings in our, in our, uh, in our world too. So Paul is writing about that. He's writing to Paul, uh, Titus, who is a Gentile. Paul calls him his true son in the faith. And so Paul has this discipleship relationship with him. And Paul's concern is with God's honor, really, in the book of Titus. He's concerned about his reputation. God is not being honored because people who profess to be Christians are living as though they have never been saved. In fact, Titus 1.16 says that these false teachers profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So some of these people, they had professed to know God, but they denied him by their works. In other words, they had some kind of a head knowledge of Christ, and yet they had no heart to do the works that we are called to do. We are called to do works for God, amen? We are called to do mighty works for God so that people can see how glorious and how awesome our God is. And yet these people, they only said, yeah, I know Jesus, but they didn't continue on in the work that they are supposed to do. I think this relates very much to our world today and especially to Christian uh, Christianity in America. All too often, we see people who profess God but maybe then they never come back to church. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever seen someone profess to know Christ, maybe get up, maybe get baptized, and then somehow they slip through the cracks or they just don't come back, and their testimony really is ruined. It does not give God the proper honor that he deserves. And so I think our nation has a lot to do with what Titus and Paul were dealing with on the island of Crete. Paul tells them in the first few verses of chapter 2 how they, ought to talk, how they ought to walk. He says, how they ought to walk. He says, but as for you, teach what accords of sound doctrine. He tells older men that there are to be sober-minded. He tells older women that they are to be reverent in their behavior. And they're to train the young women to love their husbands and children. They're told to be self-controlled, pure work pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And he goes on and he tells Titus what the people of Crete are supposed to be like. And my question when I'm reading through this, is this just another list of do's and don'ts in Christianity? And I want to tell you that it's not just a list of do's and don'ts but it is grace working out through our lives. This is what grace looks like to work out through our lives. It looks like us doing good works and be zealous for them. So it's not just another set of rules, and we know that because of the verse we're getting ready to read, verse number 11. And his solution to this problem of these works is that it's all about God's all-sufficient grace, which is the title of this sermon. So with that in mind, that introduction, 
Let's go ahead, and if you don't mind standing for the reading of God's word, we do that at Freedom Baptist Church. I don't know if you do it here any longer or not, but I like to stand. You don't have to stand, but it's, it's nice to honor God's word in that way. And for all of those who passed it down to us, right, we have the word of God today because people have died for their faith and died for us to have the right to have God's word. So let's read this. This is Paul, and he's talking immediately after giving this list of of do's and don'ts. And he says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live sober, live live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let's stop a minute and pray. Father, we thank you so much for scripture and for your word. We know it's the inerrant word of God. We know that all parts of it are true, and we're thankful that it has been preserved for us to have here today and to read this scripture, to see what you have to say to us. And so I pray that you would give us ears, not physical ears to hear, but that you would give us spiritual ears to discern what your message is for us today and how we should apply that to our life. Because ultimately, we want to become your people who are zealous for good works, good works that give glory and honor to you. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we read through this, the first thing that's, that stands out to me is in verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. God's grace has appeared. And you might ask, well, what, how does it appear? We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But first of all, let's talk a little bit about what grace is. And I'm sure... Pastor Steve has done an excellent job of teaching you what grace is, but grace is such an amazing thing, and that's not just a cliche from song, but grace is such an amazing thing because it goes counter to everything that we humanly think is is possible, but it is God's unmerited favor. It is, is his love and kindness to sinners, even though because of their sin against God, they deserve just the opposite. That is what grace is. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a, little, that's a little acrostic that you can use to kind of remember what God's grace is. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It doesn't come at our expense. It's not something that we can earn or deserve or kind of work up, but it's something that is totally from God. He takes the initiative when he graces us. It's his love and kindness to us, even though we're sinners and we deserve just the opposite. The Bible's clear. We've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us deserves to be away from the presence of the Lord into a place of torment, which the, the Bible clearly speaks of as hell, as a fiery torment. And we want that for no one, do we? We want that for no one. We want them to experience God's grace just as Paul did. Do you remember the apostle Paul, how he came to know Christ? 
He was known as Saul, and for a long time he persecuted the church and Christians of the church. In fact, he was on the road to Damascus with letters to take Christians captive back to Jerusalem so that they could be punished because of their faith. But the Lord graciously met him on that road. I mean, Saul was not looking to be saved, was he? He had no inclination to be saved. He had no desire to be saved. He was headed in the opposite direction away from God. And yet the Lord shows up and he says, I have a plan for your life and you're going to follow it. And Paul says, yes, sir. Right? That's Paul's conversion experience. I mean, he sees the Lord. He believes in the Lord. And he is converted. It was totally of grace. It was nothing of Paul's doing. Another example from the Old Testament of God's grace is a person called Mephibosheth. Say that three times really quick. You can't do it. (laughs) But most of you probably know who Mephibosheth is. He was the grandson of King Saul. He He was Jonathan's son. And after King Saul had been killed and David took the throne, Mephibosheth was still able to come to David's table and sit and eat with the king. Now, this was totally against everything that was done during that age. For one thing, Mephibosheth was uh, in the line of to be a king, and so he was a threat to David to possibly become a king. The other thing is that Mephibosheth could contribute nothing at all to this table where he was going to eat. He was poor, he was lame in both legs, he had to be carried in. And this shows the grace of God. Grace of God points out that we are utterly helpless in helping ourselves to be saved or anything else. And it means that salvation is all of God. And that's a good thing, right? Amen? That is a very good thing that it is all of God. And so we go on in our scripture that we've read, we go back to verse 11, it says, for the grace of God has appeared. Well, how, how has the grace of God appeared? Hasn't God always been a God of grace? And hasn't he always saved by grace? And it's true, he has always saved by grace. God is not a God of judgment in the Old Testament and a God of grace in the New Testament. He is a God of both judgment and grace. <laughs> we have to get those both lined up and and in right perspective. But in the Old Testament, God was a God of grace just as well. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve had sinned, God's plan of salvation was even evident there as he provided for them clothing to wear to hide their guilt and their shame, which was a foretelling of the coming of Christ. When Noah was asked to build an ark, eight persons were saved by the flood by God's grace. They were not the only ones who had sinned. Everyone had sinned, even Noah and his, and his uh, family, but he was allowed to be saved by this ark only by God's grace. Abraham is promised a descendant who will be a blessing to all nations. Abraham believed this and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He was saved by grace, not by his works by his later circumcision, but by grace, even before he had completed the work of circumcision. The firstborn of Israel are protected from the angel of death when the blood of the sacrifice of the lamb was placed on their doorposts. This is a picture of the grace 
that it has appeared. King David is promised a descendant. And then finally we get to the New Testament and it says this about the Lord Jesus. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoptions as son. Jesus is the grace that has appeared. Amen. Jesus in this verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared. It's Jesus who has come and has made all the difference. He has brought salvation for all people. Jesus is the grace that has appeared. Jesus in John chapter one, verse 14 is referred to as the word, and it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so if we look at the latter verses in the section that we read, it says that we have a great God and savior who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life for us, perfect sinless life. That's why he had to be born of the Holy Spirit because we as people inherit the fallen nature of Adam, whereas Jesus who was born of the Spirit and of Mary had no fallen nature. And he lived a perfect sinless life for us. Why did he do that? He did that so he could stretch his arms out on the cross and take the punishment for our sins. And we do believe, as we were talking in Sunday school, about a penal substitutionary atonement. In other words, Jesus paid the penalty. That's the penal part. He paid the penalty for us, but he also did it as a substitute for us. And so there's that great exchange that we talk about when you place your faith and trust in Christ, Christ has taken our sins upon himself and we gain his righteousness. And so we can be called holy and righteous before the Lord and we can be accepted into God's presence. And so Christ did this for us. He was the grace who came bringing salvation for all people. And for all people means that it's no longer just for the Jews, right? It's for all people. It's for people of all nations, tribes, and tongues. All of those who will believe and trust in Christ, repenting of their sins. That's good news, folks. That's good news for us. The good thing is that it gets even better. Jesus died on the cross, but death could not keep Jesus in the grave. But he arose and ascended to heaven where he intercedes on behalf of those who place their faith and trust in him, reconciling believers to God. I guess my question here, as we stop just a little bit, is do you have that assurance in your life that you, if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? I had a situation just about five years ago because I remember this happening at the exact same time that we were trying to make the decision whether to go stay here, go somewhere else, or go to Freedom Baptist Church. And Darla and I were coming back from Evansville, and on the right-hand side, I noticed that there was a van pulled over. And just as, I, just as I went by, from the back right by the gas tank, I saw a drop of molten fire 
fall down. And I thought, that doesn't look right. That doesn't look right at all. And so we go up a little bit further as soon as we could stop. And I look back and I start walking back toward this car because there were people that still in the car at the time. And I went back there and looked and the whole back part of the van was inflamed. And I'm thinking, explosion, we're going to die. But then I notice that there's someone outside of the vehicle. It's a handicapped individual who is over in the ditch, still very close to the van. But this individual happened to be very heavy. And uh, there were a couple people trying to help him. They couldn't help him. Uh, so I went up and tried to help him. And eventually, we started moving him just a little bit. But he didn't seem concerned at all that this fire was raging from here to that Christmas tree away from him and this tank full of gas and it was just growing and growing and growing. And then I realized that he was low enough down in the ditch that he could not feel the heat that we could feel because we could feel the heat. And he didn't realize the trouble that he was in. And many times, folks, in our churches, in our communities, people do not realize, those who are with Christ, without Christ, the trouble that they are in. It's been hidden from them. Satan has, has hidden it from them. He's blinded their spiritual sight so that they do not understand. And like I said earlier, we don't want anyone to end up away from the presence of the Lord, but we want them to have a relationship and so I'm going to just stop right now because I want you to understand that today you can be saved by God's redeeming grace. And I want to give you an opportunity. And the sermon's not over with, but let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to do his work. Father, we thank you for this time where we can just stop and just give a clear presentation of the gospel. That all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God that we have in essence rebelled against you and your authority. And maybe we don't think that's true, but if we're living our own life and we're never consulting you, if we're never turning to you, if we're never praying to you or giving glory or honor to you, then chances are that we do not have a relationship and our sin is like a wall that is between us. It's not because God is distant, it's because we are distant and we are haughty and prideful. And so I would pr pray that you would show us today, especially those who maybe have never been here at church or never heard the gospel before, that they would consider whether they are in a right relationship with God. Because all of us need this remedy. All of us need to understand that Jesus died for our sins in such a way that if we believe and trust in him and turn away from our sin and turn toward God, that we can have eternal life and be reconciled with God. And Father, I pray that there may be people who are deciding that right now. And I pray that later in our service that they would rejoice with us and share that with us. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. But the story doesn't just stop right there, does it? We continue on with verses 12 and 13 because God's grace doesn't stop at the moment we receive Christ. If you received Christ just a few minutes ago, then God's grace is not finished with you. He wants to continue working in your life. And so my second point of this is that God's grace has appeared to train us. 
Now that almost seems contradictory in most people's minds. Most people's minds see grace as God's unmerited favor, and it is. And they understand that God has done all the work, and he does. But that does not mean that in our growth in Christ-likeness that we do not participate. And so when I think of training, I think of discipline. I think of work. And so we need not and should not stop after our salvation. We should not settle for less than a full measure of God's grace and salvation. Let's believe God for every good thing that he has provided for us through Christ's death on the cross. He's delivered us from the penalties of sin. Now we're talking about how he delivers us from the power of sin in our everyday life. Anybody here ever struggle with sin? You don't have to raise your hand because I know you all do. All of us at one time or another still struggle with sin. And God says there is grace for you in this situation. Grace trains us. We are to grow in God's grace. And we are commanded to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So how does grace train us? Well, it's a work of the Holy Spirit by God's word in our heart. So most of you probably know when you became a Christian, even if that was just a few minutes ago, when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit entered your life and is there as a comforter and a counselor and a teacher. He wants to make your life the best possible life it can be for God. He wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And I've said that many times, but what that means is that we grow and we become more and more like Jesus, more like his, his passion, more like his love for people, more like his patience. And that is God's desire for us. And since he's done such a great work in our life, we love God and we feast on his word, which nourishes our soul. Amen? You guys have a quiet time? You have time where you spend with God and you read God's word and you Get something out of it, and it encourages you that for that day. This is God's grace training us. As we do this, the Holy Spirit convicts us of areas in our life that do not bring honor to Christ. I love the word of God, but sometimes it's painful. <laughs> sometimes it's painful. Sometimes I read it, and I see I'm not doing that. He's commanded me to do that, and I'm not doing that. I need to turn away from that attitude that says I shouldn't do that and I should be obedient to the command and I should do that. And so the Holy Spirit brings about, about this conviction, which is a very good thing because we want to be going in the right direction. We want to bring honor to Christ. And so we repent of our sin and look toward the cross of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins through the grace that God has shown to us. I love this little illustration. And if you, haven't, if you haven't seen it, it's just a wheel illustration. But as we read God's word, we're opened up to what the word says. We find that we have fallen short of what the word of God says. We're convicted by the Holy Spirit. That conviction causes us to look at the sacrifice of, cross, of Christ. And we see it's sufficient. It paid the penalty for that sin. And that lets us worship God for all that he has done for us.
And so God's grace is training us. And so by God's grace, I say to us and to myself, don't keep acting like the rest of the world. (laughs) Don't keep acting like the rest of the world. Paul says it another way. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? There was this misconception, even during the days of Paul, that because God's grace was so awesome and so all-inclusive, that he would be glorified more and more if we sinned more and more. Because God's grace would be sufficient more and more. And Paul says no to this. Do not continue in sin so that grace may abound. So if you're a Christian here today and you've made a profession of Christ, I can with confidence tell you that we should not continue acting like the rest of the world, but that we should be acting like Jesus Christ and taking on the form of Jesus Christ. Paul says it again. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is the training that we've been talking about. Don't let your mind be conformed to the world. In other words, don't fit into the world's mold. And by the world, we're talking about the system of this world that is opposed to God and would like to have nothing to do with God. Don't be pressed into the mold. Don't let that happen to you. He says otherwise, he said on the other hand, that we should renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That renounce is such a strong word. It means don't do it anymore. And there's a sense in which ungodliness in another version speaks of irreligion. And I take that to mean don't fall prey to some religion which is not the true gospel. Don't fall prey to some gospel which is really not the true gospel, which is what the very thing which Paul is disagreeing with. We don't get entangled in the evil things of the world that keep us from the things of God. Isn't it about time that the church be what Christ saved her to be? Isn't it about time that the, Christ, that the church be what Christ saved her to be? What did Christ save her to be but a beautiful bride dressed all in white? I wonder what our wedding dress would look like right now. <laughs> but it's meant to be white, right? It's meant to be pure and white, and we are meant to be pure and white. Hebrews twelve fourteen says, Strive for peace without which, with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So be trained in purity by God's empowering grace. That's what this training in grace is. It's empowering grace. In other words, be disciplined. Not a very proper word in our culture today, is it? It seems like people who have any kind of discipline come under ridicule more than others who don't. But we need to be self-disciplined. Self-discipline is a fruit of the Spirit. And so how do I get this training? Training, well, church membership, I think, is an important part. Being part of a body of people who are committed to hold each other accountable. And so when I do something wrong, I have someone and say, well, I think you made a mistake here. And I say, oh, yeah, 
Thanks for pointing that out. Bible study and prayer obviously are times that can be instrumental in us being trained by God's grace. But the story still doesn't end. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. He's saving us from the power of sin. But he wants to eventually save us from the very presence of sin. Amen? Looking forward to that day. Jesus is coming again. God's deliverance. He's going to deliver us from our mortal bodies and give us immortal bodies. And so everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And we are to work for the kingdom until he comes and to be zealous for good works. Wouldn't you like to see Jesus come back right now? (laughs) We all have that desire, right? And that's proper for us to have that desire for Christ to come back. Even in the book of Revelation, it says, come Lord Jesus, come. We want him to come, but he's not coming back for a reason, folks. He's not coming back because we have not done the job of preaching the gospel to the whole creation, to all nations. And so we have this work of the kingdom that we are to do until he comes. And we are to do it with joy so that we will be ready when he does come. We want the gospel to go to every place that he wants it to go to. He wants it to go to every nation, tribe, and tongue. And so we need to be about the work. And I'm so thankful for this church partnering with the leeches and other groups to help support missionaries in places like Argentina and places in Europe that I know that you guys support. And so part of this is a waiting game. We work while we wait. We wait with God's persevering grace. He says this about our final salvation. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So in finishing this up here today, we're to be saved today by God's redeeming grace. Amen. Today is a salvation. If you're here today and you've still not given your life to Christ, it's never a good idea to put it off. If I have one regret, it's that I waited 18 years before I became a Christian. I wish I would have done it much earlier in my life. So be saved today by God's redeeming grace. Be trained for holiness by God's transforming grace. Realize that your salvation experience is not the end of God's grace, but he wants to continue through his grace to give you power to live the Christian life. And then we are to wait for Jesus with God's persevering grace. As we wait, we're doing, doing the work of, a, of the kingdom. So in conclusion, we can almost draw from this, what is a true Christian? One who is saved by God's redeeming grace. A true Christian is one who is being trained in purity by God's transforming grace. And one who is working for Christ's kingdom as they wait for God's delivering grace. We've already talked about how to become a Christian. And my prayer is that you will make that decision today. I'm going to give you a chance as I pray to make that decision. After that, I'd like to have a time of response. And if you feel led by the Spirit, if you made that decision to make Christ your Lord and Savior today, just come up front here and we will greet you and talk to you. And I'll pass your name along to Pastor Steve. And 
we will rejoice in the fact that someone here today came to know Christ. But you also, you may be a, already a Christian. You've been living the Christian life and maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you're just kind of tired. And you feel like, well, maybe my life is about over. There's no need for me to continue on. There's no need for me to be transformed by God's transforming grace. Well, that's not true. <laughs> you know, there's never a time limit on God's commandments here. That if we are young or old, we are to be growing in God's grace and becoming like him. And so let's pray and then we'll have a time of response after that. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we've had here today to study your word, to look at this. I pray that it has been effective. I pray it doesn't stop here, but I pray that we would continue to meditate on these powerful verses which show how gracious of a God that you are. And if nothing else today, we should be worshiping you and honoring you with everything that we have because you are a God of grace. So I pray that if there are those today who need to make decision, that they would do so under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Bless this church. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of 
death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in the tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus' body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.